This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. My relationship, I would say, in, like, in terms of my customers, it always consists of trust, care, the best thing, treating them as part of your family. I find that creates the best bond, and in doing so, it removes any physical like barriers. It also encourages them to continue in communicating and opening up with me, I would say. Hi, I'm Jamie Busson. I'm the publisher and editor-in-chief of The Tonic Magazine and producer and host of The Tonic Talk Show and Podcast. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll discover what pharmacists really do with Rami Farjo. We'll examine the alkalize or dye fad with David Nelson. We'll find out how to deal with garden pests naturally with Melissa Cameron. And lastly, we'll learn men's skincare tips with V Mystery. But first, a little bit of business. Hi, this is Safina, and I'm a Walmart pharmacist. Whether you're looking for a medication review, diabetes screening, or have questions about your health, your local Walmart pharmacist is here to help. Find out more at walmart.ca slash pharmacy services. Rami Farjo is a community pharmacist with more than eight years of experience in pharmaceutical services. He works as a pharmacy manager at Walmart Pharmacy in Mississauga. He's also a proud husband and dad of five-year-old Fadi and three-year-old Laya. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, uh, Jamie. How are you? I'm doing very well today. So you know what you have the honor of? What? You are the first pharmacist we've ever had on The Tonic. Oh, wow. That's uh, exciting. It is. So maybe you could explain a little bit about how you became a pharmacist and why. I moved on to uh, Canada about 10 years ago. Before that, I did about five years of school in pharmacy. And once I moved here, I started doing some exams, uh, board exams, three exams in particular, and I finished them and I got the license to practice actually here. Cool. And what spurred you to be a pharmacist? Did you have sort of a, a passion for helping people? It's something really uh, nice, helping people and seeing the smile of them happy after it is done. Cool. So you're also a certified diabetes educator. What's involved in becoming a certified diabetes educator and what do you do? So it's actually um, becoming one. It is actually uh, the certified diabetes educator. Maybe the name explains itself. Okay. It's a health professional who uh, is excellent or commit in diabetes education. It sounds knowledgeable based in diabetes care, uh, management, education processes, as well as good communication skills. And in order to get that, you have to pass the board of uh, education certification for the exam. Okay. And was that like, did you enjoy that process? Was that interesting to you? Like, So it is actually something interesting. And the good thing is that here we have at Walmart as well, that we do a course that helps the pharmacist in order to pass these exams and get licensed to become a certified diabetes educator. So you see customers probably every single day when you're working, right? Yep. So what's your favorite part about connecting with your customers? That's a good question, uh, Jamie. So I would say learning about them, uh, learning about the customers, about their families, 
building that kind of relationship with them. It actually works both ways, connecting with them on personal levels sometimes as well, allows you to, uh, to really understand their needs, like maybe on a deeper level, which in returns like allows us to give them the complete care, take them into like more of an emotional needs into consideration. Like actually my favorite part is that when seeing how happy they feel about the love and care that they receive. Can you give an example of, you know, maybe where a circumstance where you had to go the extra mile and you did? Yes, I have this patient who in particular I will never forget. A patient came in to the pharmacy. Mm-hmm. She approached me and she, she was talking to me about some concerns, about symptoms that she's having. And these symptoms, when she was telling me about them, they were more like diabetes related. Mm-hmm. So I, I kept asking her or insisting on my questions, like, do you have diabetes? She's like, no, I don't have diabetes told her, are you sure? Like, have you checked recently? She's like, yeah, I checked my blood works. Everything is on, is on point. Everything is good. So I told her, but what you're experiencing are symptoms of some problems. So I told her, let's check your sugar levels. She said, no, no, I don't have anything. And I kept insisting. It, it was a weekend. We have a clinic next to us, which was good. Mm-hmm. So I convinced her. We checked the sugar levels. And when she checked it, she was surprised that the levels were really, really high. Mm. So Luckily, having the clinic next to us and we got the doctor involved right away. They put her on insulin and that patient from that day, and then every time I see her, she's like, you are the one who saved my life because her levels were like emergency level. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's good that at that point we had the clinic next to us and having the insulin right away, she was good. So that's probably the most story that I can always have in the back of my head that No, that's great. That's awesome. I don't think I've ever done that before. So good for you. Thank you. So let's talk about your relationships with the customers, right? Because, you know, I think most people, when they go into a pharmacy, you know, all they think about is, you know, you're the dude behind the counter who's going to put, you know, 30 of whatever pills their doctor prescribed into a bottle. And that's pretty much what you do. But your relationship with the customer is a lot broader than that, isn't it? I agree. Yes. That is probably changing these days. My relationship, I would say, in, like in terms of my customers, it always consists of trust, care. The best thing, Jamie, is treating them as part of your family. That's what, when you think about it that way, and you think that these people are, if I was treating my own family, that changes a lot. So yeah, I would say treating them as part of my family, I find that creates the best bond. And in doing so, it removes any physical like barriers. It also encourages them to continue in communicating and opening up with me, I would say. Okay. Do you have those types of communications with your customers where, you know, you're, you're sort of breaking down the barriers and explaining what's going on with their medications? Yes. There is actually no set formula for like easing patient concern. Yeah. Like first step I would always say is, as we said, like communication. So communicate with them, like asking them maybe more detailed questions, helps them understand the situation it also helps you like getting these answers like the, of the questions that uh, they have and you can answer them in the best ability. I try to explain like the condition itself, like bring it in a lay language, as well as how these medications will work, what it's used for, how it can help alleviate their conditions, show them some evidence-based references sometimes also helps them like ease their concerns or calm them their concerns as well. So that's what I usually try to do. You know what we also do sometimes, like when we have like these patients who are, let's say, more than on three medications or right. chronic medications, we do something, we call it uh, a meds review or a meds check. Maybe it's known by pharmacists as well. So what we do is that we check 
with the patient. What I usually do, like when we do a med check or a meds review, I tell the patient, tell me why are you using the medication? Like right. I get them to explain to me so that I can kind of feel their understanding of the medications and right. why they are taking it. What is the condition they're using it for? So I ask them to explain to me like in a routine way. And then I start listening to them and I find like ensuring the patients understand their condition, it will make that difference. So I navigate them through what they are doing. And if I find any issue or if I find any problems, I would just let them know what they are doing. And then I can maybe talk to the doctor afterwards and let them know that, oh, we need to adjust this or we need to change this. Oh, I didn't know that the pharmacist could do that. So you're basically reviewing all their meds with them. Exactly. Looking for contraindications or, or, or things like that, right? Yeah. Sometimes you'll be surprised. Like people don't know why they're taking medications. They just have it and they're like, oh, I take it. Or they've forgotten the original reason because they've been taking the medications for so long, right? That could be. So it's an annual review that we do with our patients. And also like for, let's say, we're people who have diabetes, we can even do it more often. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So I presume that you're not just dealing with people who are taking their own medications, but I suspect you're probably helping people, family members and and caregivers. So what's that like? What do you do in that regard? I love this question. Sometimes we forget about caregivers. They are a big part of the whole process. They are the link sometimes to some patients because sometimes I don't even see the patient. I just see the caregiver. So it's good that we never forget about the caregiver role, the toll that it takes on them when it's such tough and rewarding role, actually it is. Seeing your loved ones go through a tough time is never easy. Giving them the support and encouraging them can go a long way. I find that encouraging and showing gratitude to the caregiver or the people supporting their families can make a difference and have a positive impact on them and also on their families and how they feel. Appreciated, encouraged, all that keep them going. Caregiving is such a beautiful role as it is not only adds love and care, but it also adds quality to the lives of everyone involved. Another way of supporting them is to try and find the best way to manage the patient's medications. One way we, we do is that we do uh, something called compliance packaging or blister packs, bubble packs. Mm-hmm. A lot of people know it by these names. Yeah, This is basically like we arranged medications based on like uh, time slots and based on like what type of medication. We seal it and then we give it to the patient. So it's kind of weekly. Oh, so, so so for example, if you're taking something once a day, then it's in your Monday pack. Or if you have to take it with a meal, then it's it, there's pills that you would take with lunch or dinner or something. Along and for the... people who are on multiple medications, there are right. some people who takes like eight medications, several wow. medications even more medications. So it's it kind of become difficult for them to adhere with the medications that they are using. So that's what bubble packs uh, helps for. Okay. So, you know, I was joking around about, you know, counting pills before, right? You didn't take it personally, right? No, I was no. <laughs> I was just I was making a joke. But can you tell us a bit about what it's like to be on the other side of the counter? Like what goes into filling a prescription and and the things that you need to think about to do it right? Yeah. Well, the basic thing that the pharmacist must know, I would say. So filling a prescription, like it seems easy maybe as a process that we do, but in fact, it has like a, a detailed list. So first what we do is that we get the patient, we input their information, we put their date of birth, address, all these information. Usually a pharmacy assistant helps with that. And then they input the drug information, doctor's information. After this process, that's the data entry, we do the filling process, which we make sure we grab the product, we scan it, and then we check that this is the correct product. We count the pills based on the prescription that was prescribed, and then we label it. 
After that, it goes into a basket. That basket goes into the pharmacist. We also have like a couple things that checks. It checks the information that was entered first. And after that, checks the clinical aspect of the prescription. If this medication has interactions, it has contraindications, if it's not used for the correct age group, all these things. After it's done, goes to the next step, which is the most important part, probably the message to the patient, the counseling. So counseling the patient, how the medication is used, why it is used, and all these details so that the patient, making sure that this patient understand and adhere to the medication that they have been prescribed. It's almost like you're a medication manager, right? You know, because you're the one who's, you're like the safeguard, right? You're making sure that everything is accurate and appropriate and what the doctor prescribed, right? I love the word safeguard because this is actually what we do. This is, we are the last step between the doctor to the patient. So it's very, very important that we deliver that accurately. Okay, we have time for one last question. And that is, what are some of the services or support that you offer to customers that they may not know about that would benefit them? A lot, Jamie, a lot. So we are doing plenty of services that we provide in our practice now. So we dispense the prescription, as we said. We also provide over-the-counter consultations. We do non-sterile compounding. We extend prescriptions when doctors is not available. We adapt the prescription if there were changes that needs to be adjusted. A lot have been added to our practice. What we do at Walmart, we have wellness days. So every quarter we do a day where we have patients walk in and we check their blood sugar. We check their blood pressure, of course, with their consents. And we teach them about these things. We do even more services these days. We offer like smoking cessation consultations. We do travel vaccinations. There are about 13 vaccines that we, that we inject. In the future or the near future, it's something that coming up is prescribing minor ailments. Let's say you have like a, a pink eye. You mm-hmm. don't need to go to a doctor. You can go to a pharmacist. I didn't know that. Future. Not now yet in Ontario. It's happening in other places, but coming soon, hopefully. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of services that have been added to the pharmacist, a lot of people are not aware of, but that's what we do. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was my pleasure. It was really fun being here, actually. It was fun to have you. you. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. Hi, this is Safina, and I'm a Walmart pharmacist. Whether you're looking for a medication review, diabetes screening, or have questions about your health, your local Walmart pharmacist is here to help. Find out more at walmart.ca slash pharmacy services. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. Suffering with pain or arthritis? Having trouble sleeping due to stress and anxiety? Understand the benefits of medical cannabis science. Optican CB4 relief soft gels are formulated with patented Bezosorb pharmaceutical technology and are clinically proven to deliver four and a half times more CBD into your bloodstream three times faster than conventional CBD capsules. That's reliable relief in a nutshell and in an Optican soft gel. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist and sign up at Optican with two N's dot C-A. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. 
David Nelson is a fellow at Invivo Planetary Health, a part of the Nova Institute for Health of People, Places, and Planet, located in Baltimore, Maryland. He attended the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, is a health, food, retail, and wellness service business owner, and he's written numerous academic articles. Currently, one was published establishing the importance of the acid-alkaline balance of foods that we eat. He lives in Woodstock with his family, and he's been on the show before. Welcome back, David. How are you? Thank you very much, Jamie. Nice to be back on the show. So we're going to riff on your paper, right? We're going to talk about acid and alkaline. So you know I've been in the health and wellness business you know, as a publisher for many years. And of course, you know, some of these themes come up, you know, veganism, live food, for example, or a couple of them. And then, you know, there's proponents of the alkaline diet or eating alkaline as opposed to acid foods. So maybe it would be helpful to sort of discuss where did this notion come from? Yeah, I mean, I always like to look at the history or how I say how we got to now. Yeah. Because that gives context for what we're doing right now. So historically, we've always had some claims about herbals, tinctures, medical patents, stuff like that. We all know that. But this story is actually very interesting because it surrounds a fruit called grapefruit. Yep. And uh, it goes back to 1910. There's a gentleman by the name of Kimball Atwood, and he bought up a lot of the west coast of Florida and started to plant these large grapefruit plantations. Now, what's interesting about this is he sold them, quote-unquote, as the first functional food that created alkalinity. Hmm. So that's where it comes from. It's around 1910. And it was a gentleman growing grapefruits in Florida, Kimball Atwood. So he's putting forward that the fruits promote alkalinity. Why would anybody care about that? Why is that an issue? Yeah, around that time, they were doing analysis of things, and they were looking at ash and tissue and stuff like that. And they found this idea that there could be an, an acid component to things. And when you add alkaline, it buffers it out, it neutralizes it. So he jumped on that research, which was really, really, really new, and made a lot of medical claims surrounding it. And so that started the conversations in medicine and in people about kind of this acid-alkaline idea, and you need to alkalize yourself because we're all too, quote-unquote, acidic. Right. And also, you know, if you look at it, carrying it forward, it's the type of foods that allegedly, or I suppose factually, do increase the acidity in your body. And it's not what you think it is, right? Like, it's interesting. You think of a grapefruit, and it's an acidic fruit, right? So why right, would that right. why would that promote alkalinity? And conversely, right. like, you have a piece of meat, or you have processed foods, not terribly acidic to the taste, yet it promotes acidity in your body. So why yeah, is really. that? So really, the question, I, I think the fundamental question is, is there any truth behind this? Right, yeah. Is there any truth behind this? So the, the answer is yes, but we didn't know until very recently what that truth was. And now there are a lot of studies coming out since about 2018 showing, and I'm going to use some terms here so that your, so your listeners can fact check this if they want. It's called PRAL. P-R-A-L, so that's the potential renal acid loaded of a meal, and that is an industry standard thing now. So it's well accepted as a metric of measurement in science now. And then the second part is NEAP, N-E-A-P, and that stands for the net endogenous acid production. And so we can measure these things now. 
And so is there truth behind it? There is truth behind it, but not in the way that Kimball Atwood was making the claims in 1910. And just another tiny bit of history, Jamie, for your listeners, mm-hmm. they probably are familiar with the phrases like alkalize or die or the pH miracle. The pH miracle is Robert O. Young. He wrote that book in 2002. Essentially, he claimed all manner of cures for this stuff. And that's the point that I want to point out to your listeners about information shaping and propaganda and when it comes to nutrition and food science. The first thing that these folks do is they have a medical expert of some level of prestige making a claim by saying grapefruits do, you know, Dr. So-and-so says grapefruits do this. Then the second part is the claim. Increased energy, lower blood sugar, whatever that claim is. And then the third part of the propaganda piece is the mechanism of action. And that is like you alkalize yourself. So when you start to look at these as a doctor making a claim, suppose a doctor saying this is true, this is the claim, it increases energy, and then the mechanism of action of this. But we now know this has been oversold, or I'll say it a different way, we were doing the right thing or on the right track, but it was for the wrong reason. Okay. So can we take a step back for a second, though? Like, explain mm-hmm. why we should care whether our systems are alkaline or acid. Like, what does it mean, yeah. Yeah, like, to, to us, like, question. you know, like day to day, so that we can give some context? So what happened in the 1970s, what kind of ramped this up was there was two physicians that did some research, and they found out that people that had a higher acid load in their diet, observationally, they tended to see them having more osteoporosis. So this really ramped up some of the investigation. Does a high acid load increase the need for buffering minerals like calcium, and do we steal those from the skeleton over the long period of time? A lot of science and a lot of docs, they actually didn't think that this was true. Fast forward, you know, 35 or 40 years, and now we realize that it's through the contents of the microbiome and the body's response to the food that creates these very slight but slow burning what it's called it's called chronic suboptimal or low grade acidosis and Mm -hmm. it turns out that these things cause now in my paper i show 18 different conditions now with science showing dietary acid load measured through prowl and through meat increase the risk of things like type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, hyperuricemia, breast cancer, brain fog, etc. So how people feel and dis-ease, which is a state of unwell and feeling not very good, and then disease, which is like the presentation of something like cancer, is actually related. We can associate, correlate these things to dietary acid load. Okay, so then it isn't a good thing to have more acidity, and that is scientifically... Proven. So it's basically proven. Let me point two things out because you asked me this question before and I'm going to follow it up. Grapefruits seem like they're acidic, right? Yeah. Right. What happens is when you eat that, they have organic acids in them. When it goes into the gut, those organic acids actually create a more alkaline environment and they shape the microenvironment of the gut to have the microbiome respond better. Okay, so that's one thing. So, and there's a big difference between the acid load, so the prowl of a grapefruit, and the prowl of a steak. Okay. Right? So the steak is going to have a much higher 
potential renal acid load, and it's going to produce more endogenous acid production. I have a question for you. So is it because the body requires more acid to break down the protein that is Mm -hmm. steak? Is that what's going on? That's a really good question, and the answer there is no. What happens is that the stomach acid and acid there is actually a bacteriostatic environment. It's meant to create safety from pathogens in the external environment. Right. So when the stomach massages the food and bathes it in acid, it does do some protein breakdown, but not as much as you would think. The vast majority of protein breakdown comes from proteolytic enzymes and microbial fermentation in the large and colon. So that's more to keep the food, you know, ready and safe for you. Um, and then the other part of it is when you eat meat in North America, we have an absence of vegetables. When you go to other places in the world, meat is a much smaller portion and vegetables are a much larger portion. And it looks like it's the ratio. Said another way, it's the addition of vegetables, but not the absence of meat that increases wellness. And as you increase your vegetable intake, you actually decrease your meat intake because your stomach's only so big. So is that the takeaway? That if we're going to do this properly, if we're going to work towards alkalinity from and away from acidity, yeah. we should be increasing our vegetables? Is that it? That's exactly it. Vegetables and fruits, too. They contain those organic acids that might look acidic, but they actually become more basic as we process them in our body. It's actually quite interesting. The longest-lived cultures in the world, and we know this through Dan Butner's work, who wrote The Blue Zones. The Blue Zones, yeah. found five blue zones. You probably heard about this. Yep. It looks like they had a profound amount of vegetables and locally grown stuff, too. So it seems the communities that they're in have access to fresh fruits and vegetables, and culturally and historically, they eat more of those things. It's not like the fast food joint drive through at the burger joint, right? Yeah. You get your hamburger, you got a, a token little bit of lettuce, a token tomato on there, you got fries, ketchup is not that, you know, it's not a tomato, it's a processed food. And then that changes the renal acid load and the acid production. So the solution then is we got to eat our veggies, right? Yeah, I guess grandma and mom were right all along, Jamie. Yeah, (laughs) it's true. But don't tell them. It'll go to their heads. (laughs) Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely, Jamie. It was a pleasure. That was David Nelson. For more discussions and articles about health and wellness, be sure to visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll discuss dealing with garden pests naturally on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Hi, this is Safina, and I'm a Walmart pharmacist. Whether you're looking for a medication review, diabetes screening, or have questions about your health, your local Walmart pharmacist is here to help. Find out more at walmart.ca slash pharmacy services. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. 
They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Melissa Cameron is an organic master gardener and founder of The Good Seed, a garden education and design company. She's been featured on websites such as Farmer's Footprint, Florit, and Toronto Life, and is a regular garden contributor for Canadian Vegan Magazine. The Good Seed specializes in organic edible gardens, pollinator and native garden plantings, and sustainable cut flower garden designs. In addition, she's the co-founder of the Abermory Garden Collective, a not-for-profit that grows organic food and donates it to families with young children facing food insecurity. For more information, you can visit thegoodseedgarden.com. And in exciting news... Uh, Melissa has also contributed an article and is a, a she's the cover feature for the upcoming uh, summer issue of Tonic Magazine. Welcome to the show, Melissa. You're- Hi, Amy. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's great to have you here now that you're a big star in, in publication <laughs> and, and radio. And today we're going to talk about garden pests. And no, we're not talking about the neighbors that snoop over the fence, right? Right. We're talking about little critters, not not trash pandas today, right? Yes. This is sort of the time of year when we start to see some damage in the garden. So I thought, let's chat about this and let's figure out how to deal with it in a holistic, organic way. Perfect. So so let's start with, if you notice there's damage in the garden, and I suppose that's sort of like leaves where there's little holes in it or you can actually see the critters, you know, when should you be checking to see what's going on? What's the best time of day to do that? Yeah, great question. So dawn and dusk are actually the best times to check for your garden pests. Um, And my preference, if you really want to know, would be the morning. Mm -hmm. And that's just because at the heat of the day, when the sun is really high in the sky, a lot of these pests take shelter just like we do and look for shade. So you might not see them out gallivanting in your garden. Um, And this is especially true for some of the hard-to-control pests we have in southern Ontario, like Japanese beetles. Okay, so let's talk about a little bit more about the the pests. Some of them are just there, you know, and it's not... You know, it's not great, but it's not really, really harmful to your garden. And there are others that are really destructive. So who are they? Who's visiting our gardens? Yeah, I mean, I think this is maybe a a great moment to just pause and talk about beneficial insects. Sure, yeah. Um, Because there are plenty of them in your garden. They fall into three categories, predators, parasitoids, and pollinators. So the three Ps. So predators capture and eat other organisms in your garden, like insects mites, and they could include like ladybird beetles, ground beetles, lacewings, hoverflies, yellow jacket wasps. Um, parasitoids are the insects that parasitize other uh, insects, which is pretty wild and wacky. Yeah. And so um, tomato hornworms, for instance, are the host uh, for parasitic wasps. And so there's like a mutually beneficial relationship there. And then pollinators are, of course, the insects in your garden that include honeybees and leafcutter bees, other wild bees, butterflies, moths, all sorts of things that visit flowers to feed on nectar and pollen. And, of course, your pollinators are transferring pollen in between the flowers of your same species, which help for pollination. And that's really essential for, like, you know, growing zucchinis, for instance, in your garden. Yep. So those are the good guys. The bad guys are really anybody who's in your garden out of balance. 
So think of an aphid infestation that is difficult to control that's stressing your plant and perhaps inhibiting it from photosynthesizing. Okay, but do aphids totally destroy your plant or can you live with aphids? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, anything in moderation, if you have a really strong plant, you're probably okay. If you do end up with a massive infestation, you can have a lot of trouble. Okay. I know we're going to get to it later. They're not the big troublemakers for me, but we'll get to the big ones later. So if you have pests, what is your recommendation to deal with them organically? What what are first steps? Sure. So by organically, I'm talking zero intervention from chemicals or anything like that. So first off, hand picking. Unpopular, but effective. Yeah. Um, if you're a little squeamish with that, head out early in the morning with a mason jar full of water with a bit of dish soap and, you know, really tip into that mason jar any pests you find. Um, it can be very effective. You can also use that strong blast of water setting on your garden hose yeah. and blast predators off your plants. And you can create a physical barrier between the plant and the pest. So, for instance, with kale, I like to use floating row cover to cover it so cabbage white butterflies, which are all those tiny little white butterflies you see flying around, don't lay their eggs, which hatch into larvae that eat your kale. Yeah. It just makes the kale unpretty, but you can wash off the larvae, right? Like like when you're when you're harvesting, can't you? Definitely. Right. So something like a cabbage white butterfly larva is just eating the leaf yeah. um, and going through its life cycle. Something on your spinach and your beets, for instance, like leaf miner, is actually um, a fly that lays its egg on the back of the leaf. Mm-hmm. And that's where you see them starting to eat that sort of intercellular material between the two leaves. And then that's not edible at that point. No, of course. So again, laying row cover, you're really just preventing the fly from laying its eggs. Completely reusable and also, you know, affordable, easy, sustainable, all the good things. Fantastic. Is there anything we can do? to our gardens that would make it less attractive to the pests to come in the first place? Yes. I mean, definitely creating an ecosystem that is diverse is one of the things that you can do. So being sure that you have amazing living soil that is growing lots of diversity. That means we've got plants that are you know, different in height, colors, textures, when they bloom, this really brings the beneficial insects around, which helps keep the nefarious insects at bay. Yeah, I, I actually have a flower garden. I have, you know, I think I've, I've told you this, I have three raised gardens, but I actually have the flowers and the herbs and the vegetables intermingled amongst the three raised gardens. And that actually does work pretty effectively for me. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you do that. Well, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm going for the gold star. So I know that you obviously advocate for not using any chemicals at all, but are there some products that are better than others or worse than others that you want to identify for the listeners? There are. Some products are truly very broad spectrum in how they work, which means that they can destroy anything from a weed to a worm. And so we really want to stay away from those. They typically will contain a chemical called glyphosate. Mm -hmm. So definitely something to stay away from. And that will be on the label of whatever it is you're buying? It will. Okay. And that's legal to use? Yes, it's legal to use. Uh, There have been a lot of lawsuits come up in North America around glyphosate. I won't use the uh, company name that primarily employs it, but when you do go to your local 
sort of big box uh, chain hardware store, sometimes these products are under lock and key and also sometimes are applied with a gun. If it's the product I'm thinking of, I thought it was banned in Toronto and that if you were intending to use it, you had to go outside the GTA to get it. Are we thinking about the same product or is that something else? Uh, so it is still for sale in Toronto. Um, we are not allowed to use it uh, as lawn, like a landscaping practitioner cannot use right. it in a broad way across like a field. Got it. Um, but just know that if you're using that in your garden, you are going to really, really hurt the ecosystem and hurt all of the different organisms uh, in the soil. So. Okay. More the more targeted the product, the better. Okay, so let's let's talk about the notion that you can put you can plant plants together, and one might be sort of protecting another. So, for example, is there anything we could plant that would would keep the, those aphids away from our precious roses? Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely want your listeners to focus less on exact companion planting sure. and more on creating diversity. But that being said, there is some research to suggest, for instance, that in your example, you're giving. Um, Adding plants from the allium family, so chives, garlic, onions, ornamental alliums, can help deter aphids from roses. So it is worth a look. Yeah. Yeah, I actually ha- I have chives in in my garden, and it, and it, you know it can overwhelm your garden if you're not careful. But but they seem to do a good job of keeping keeping the aphids away. I have another problem though, and that is slugs. So what do you uh-huh. do? If, what do you do if you have slugs? Okay, so slugs are really a sign that you have a lot of moisture in your garden. And so what I want you to do is to try to reduce the moisture on the surface of your soil. Mm-hmm. And I want you to do that by watering early in the morning. So if we water in the evening, you know, the temperature does not go up generally in the night. And so the surface of the soil stays quite moist, which is a great habitat for slugs. Okay. So first of all, water in the morning. That way the surface of the soil dries out a bit. You can hand pick those slugs, but you can also take some plastic solo cups from the dollar store Sink those into your garden and fill them with some cheap beer. I was going to say beer. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then you, you don't really want to eat them as escargot after, do you? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any other specific uh, tips you have? We have time for one last question. Okay. So, um, in general, I want everyone to focus on soil health. Okay. Healthier soil builds healthier plants and healthier plants can resist insect pressure better. I'm always about the soil, and so I'm going to end on that note. Well, that's fantastic advice. Thank you for coming on the show today. What would you like to discuss the next time you're on the show? You know what? The next time I'd love to talk about keeping your garden thriving through the summer into the fall uh, with some garden amendments. Sounds like a plan. That was Melissa Cameron. To learn more about Melissa, please visit thegoodseedgarden.com. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss men's skincare on the tonic. Here's your third segment stretch with Angelica Scanura. We are going to do a thoracic wall stretch. Whether you work at a desk or not, chances are you spend a lot of time with your shoulders rounded inwards and your head pitched forward. I like to do this first thing in the morning as I tend to sleep curled up in a ball. It really opens me up. Find some free wall space and stand facing the wall. Place your hands flat against the wall, slightly above your head, shoulder distance apart. Step away until your arms are stretched while keeping your hands flat on the wall. While keeping your legs stretched, start to bend from the hips until your body becomes a 90 degree angle. 
you want to think of your armpits as trying to kiss the wall, even though that is not our objective. You will feel a stretch in your pec muscles and all the muscles that are attached to the shoulder blades and the ribs. You must engage your abs as they provide support for your lower back. Hold for 10 seconds at a time and then release before doing it again and again for about two minutes. This stretch has the potential to be quite intense, so make sure that it always feels enjoyable. Medicinal mushrooms offer a multitude of health benefits, including immune support, improved energy, and stress reduction. Medicinal mushroom extracts from New Roots Herbal, hot water extracted, providing you validated potency so you get their full health benefits. Discover Reishi, Lion's Mane, or Resilience, a seven-mushroom blend. Find the complete selection of medicinal mushroom extracts from New Roots Herbal exclusively at quality health food stores. To learn more, visit newrootsherbal.com. To ensure the products are right for you, always read and follow the label. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, this is Safina, and I'm a Walmart pharmacist. Whether you're looking for a medication review, diabetes screening, or have questions about your health, your local Walmart pharmacist is here to help. Find out more at walmart.ca slash pharmacy services. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. V Mystery is a certified skin therapist and founder of Skin by V, a private facial studio in Toronto that specializes in awakening the skin through personalized and science-based treatments. Skin by V also sells a selection of curated luxury skincare products, both online and in-store. With more than 25 years of experience in the beauty industry, V has worked on thousands of faces and has developed a highly tailored approach to the art of facials. Welcome back to the show, V. How are you? I'm very good, Jamie. Thank you for having me back on the show. Yeah, so, you know, everybody knows it's my show. And (laughs) every time, you know, we do beauty or skincare, we're always focused on the women. But guess what? It's equal time for men today, okay? Yay! Yay, men! (laughs) Amen. I'm excited for this topic. This is a really exciting topic, for sure. It is exciting, and I'm taking notes, okay? Because, (laughs) you know, my my regimen, you'd be shocked and horrified. So... I need the help, V. It's really all about me on this show. Well, okay. Well, let, let's let's tweak that re- regime for you then. 
Okay, so let's talk about the routine. So, so what are some of the must-haves and must-dos for men? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a couple of key factors. Um, when I'm talking about men's skincare, it's really to try and keep it as simple as possible. Yeah. Most men don't want to have, you know, 12 products lined up. Some do, and that's great. And, you know, I definitely cater to that too. Um, but simplifying it is always easier because it allows a commitment and it allows regular approach. So must-haves is a good cleanser, a really good moisturizer, and an SPF. Okay. And, yeah. well, that's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have recommendations or do you, or is it just like quality products will do? Yeah, quality products. I mean, um, I have an e-commerce site online, so, you know, everything you can shop. Um, primarily, all my products are universal, so yep. you can use all the ingredients on men and on women. Um, but we do have a few selected products which are specifically catering to men um, and more of that thicker skin. Um, but, you know, cleansing, moisturizing, SPF, simple, and uh, just go to that. Um, you do want to look for good quality formulations. So you don't want to necessarily just look for, um, you know, hero or marketing words in terms of, you know, salicylic or glycolic, because sometimes it's the percentage um, of that actual ingredient. It might be, you know, 0.01%. So you're not really benefiting from that, um, but you really want to look for good quality formulations. And that's why you want to work with a good um, skin specialist that's created a curated list. And you know that you can go there and trust whatever they have. Okay, let's let's focus on sun protection because mm-hmm. you know obviously we're in the in the sunny months now, and mm-hmm. I think I was telling you before we were on air that you know I just mm-hmm. got back from Italy and spent a lot of days in the sun. So, so what should we know about sun protection? Yeah, so sun protection is key. It's key all year round. UVA, UVB, which are the long rays and also the short rays. There's also something called blue light, uh, which radiates from um, our phones, our laptops. These are all different types of rays that tend to attack our skin. So we call that um, free radical. Um, it can also burn our skin from, you know, the UV rays that come from the sun. Um, burns can obviously cause a lot of pain and discomfort. Um, it could also lead to long-term skin cancers, uh, pigmentation. So SPF should be key all year round. Um, If you're only using it in summer months, at least that's a good starting point. (laughs) And hopefully we'll make this a routine all year round. Um, But it's really to protect and shield the skin um, from making sure that you don't burn or cause any damages. The UV rays can also um, break down our protein fibers, which are our collagen and our elastin, therefore leading to premature fine lines and wrinkles, um, maybe even creating a lot of dryness or texture in the skin visually so all those things you know prove to be negative um, impacts on our skin so spf is a non-negotiable and a hero product for every single person what's your minimum number for spf yeah i would definitely say at least a minimum of 30 um i there's two different types of spf which i think we should really touch upon there's a physical and a chemical physical means that it's um you know rebounding those um like reflecting those uh, UV, UVA, UVB rays, blue light rays um, off the skin so it doesn't absorb those rays. Um, chemical um, means that it's going to absorb it and then basically scatter it all out over the 
skin so that you don't create any type of burning um, or any type of pigmentation. When I say chemical, people tend to get really um, a little nervous, especially when there's so many things that are like, you know, don't use this chemical, don't use this chemical. It's not a bad chemical. You know, this is a good chemical. It's just how it works on the skin. I like a physical just because we don't want to um, absorb those um, heated rays, which can obviously then lead to inflammation. Um, so I like more physical. You want to use zinc, titanium zinc, so any type of mineral SPF. Um, but the key factor is to reapply. So if you're out in the sun for prolonged hours, you want to always remember to reapply every 90 minutes. Okay. Wow, yeah. ninety minutes. All right. Yeah. Okay. Were you, were you doing that, Jamie? Uh, not commenting. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> even though I have a bald head, uh, yeah. I actually grow hair on my face pretty rapidly, and and that has issues for skincare too, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. So the thing is, is men's skin. Um, is a little different to women's skin um, in the means of the way it's actually structured. So the skin density on a man will be up to 25% thicker. Mm-hmm. Um, men tend to um, release more testosterone hormone, mm-hmm. um, which is the reason why um, there is this 25% thickness in density. Um, where that proves to be a great usefulness, because you're not going to necessarily see you know, lines and wrinkles forming really quickly, you definitely see that beautiful volume in the skin for more years than, say, a woman that maybe doesn't take care of her skin. Um, what happens is that skin being thicker, it can also produce more oil, so mm-hmm. more sebum. Um, The actual sebum gland is actually much smaller than uh, a female's um, sebum gland, but it produces more oil. In that actual follicle, it can um, trap that oil, which can then lead to Um, facial acne, um, congestion, um, pores looking a little bit more enlarged because there's more buildup in those pores and it's pulling, it's almost um, pushing out the follicle walls. So those are the differentiators in terms of men's skin and women's skin. Okay, so you touched upon acne. Uh, Mm -hmm. Men don't tend to get acne as much as women, do they? Um, I think it varies lifestyles, um, you know, food, um, medical, all those things will have an effect on that. Also, um, a lot of my clients play a lot of sports. So, um, you know, that being said, they're going to sweat a lot more. Maybe they don't take that sweat off their skin by cleansing immediately. Those things can lead to acne. So um, the reason why men traditionally may not see as much acne as women if they're not into those other things that I mentioned is because most of the time they're also shaving. Shaving um, adds as a um, uh, an actual physical exfoliation of the skin. So keeping things moving off the skin as well. So making sure that our skin is rejuvenating, it's bringing forward all the new skin cells, um, sloughing away all the dead skin cells. So that's the reason why most men may not see as much acne. Um, But again, we always need to take a factor of the lifestyle into consideration when we're having that discussion. Okay. So if you ask the, the average person on the street, they might say that men's skin 
tends to look younger than women's as we age, like we don't mm-hmm. age as quickly. Is that actually true in your experience? Yeah, I would say that. And and a lot of my clients will say this, you know, when they come in for facials, they're like, God, it's crazy. You know, my husband or my fiance or my boyfriend will just literally use a bar of soap and his skin is just like perfection. You know, like, that's so like mean. Why do you have that? Yeah. You don't even appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and one of the big reasons is going back to what I said originally, which is that androgen hormone, that testosterone hormone, having that presence of that hormone means that the skin's density, so the structure is a lot more um, bouncy, it's a lot more pillowy. And that's the reason why your collagen and elastin cells don't break down as easily as you know a female um, skin may notice that happening. But even as we age, right, like the, the hormones will level off and taper off. And then I guess maybe the skin changes for men. Yeah, the skin changes. And, you know, if somebody has not done anything, which is, you know, those three steps that I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, which was to clean the skin really well with a good, you know, quality cleanser, moisturize and SPF, you will start seeing fine lines and wrinkles. You will start seeing pigmentation. You will start seeing those sunspots, liver spots. You know, you will start seeing those things starting to affect. I mean, skin is the largest organ in the body. If you don't take care of it in your 20s, 30s, at some point in your later age, it's going to start catching up with you. So you do, you know, you don't want to take it for granted that you do have this perfect skin at the moment. You want to preserve it. Um, And I always say pro-aging, so we want to prevent as much as possible. Everyone's going to age, it's the inevitable, but how do we do it in a more graceful way? And, you know, just like I said, cleanse, moisturize, and SPF. Fantastic. Unfortunately for me, I'm already at the stage where the where the spots and the blemishes and everything are coming out, even though even though I tried when I was younger. <laughs> I know. I mean, I think, you know, what our, our world as facialists has developed so much. We've advanced so much in technology and formulations. Um, you know, there's always a solution and um, it's never too late, Jamie. Well, that's heartening. That's a good. <laughs> I think we're going to end the interview here. Thanks so much for coming on, V. Thank you so much for having me. For more information about V, visit skinbyv.com. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Rami Farjo, David Nelson, Melissa Cameron, and V Mystery. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic Magazine. The May-June issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.